This episode is brought to you by Zero Shoes, a company that is perfectly named. Why? Because when you're wearing their shoes, you feel like you're walking around completely and totally barefoot. AKA, like you're not wearing any shoes. AKA, like you are wearing zero shoes. Now, we've all heard the benefits of barefoot training, but who wants to walk into a gym without any shoes on your feet? First of all, it's gross, and second of all, it's disgusting. Now, the other benefits of zero shoes is not only are they functional, but they're also fashionable. So, you've seen many a time people walk in the gym with these minimalist shoes and they look like a freak. Not with zero shoes. You're going to blend right in. Also, they have a wide toe box so that your toes are not all scrunched together in the front like they normally are with any standard training sneaker or cleat. Now, to get your shoes, go to zeroshoes.com slash go slash Mahoney AT. Again, that's zeroshoes.com slash go slash Mahoney AT. And that zero is spelt with an X. It is X-E-R-O. Again, I'll say it again. It's X-E-R-O. Get your zero shoes today. Welcome to another episode of the Mahoney Advanced Training Podcast. Once again, we're going to give you six tips and tricks to make you more efficient and effective in the weight room, the boardroom, and on a football field. And, and, we're going to give a recap of what happened at this weekend's Challenge Championship. And boy, it was a sick one. All right, let's get into the six tips. The first tip, it is a nutrition tip. It's a nutrition tip, not an exercise tip. It's a nutrition tip. And the tip is, cycle your protein shake supplements. I'll say that again. Cycle your protein shake supplements. So what do I mean by that? I mean, if you've been drinking a chocolate whey protein for the last three years, switch it up. Don't always have chocolate and don't always have whey protein. You need sure that you need to switch it up because if you have too much of the same thing, there is a possibility that you would develop a food sensitivity. It did happen to me for a very long time. I was having nothing but vanilla whey shakes, and then I go to Dr. Tom, I take the food sensitivity test, and boom, I have a sensitivity to vanilla shakes. And to be honest with you, when I was drinking vanilla, these vanilla whey shakes, I felt like I had a hangover after I was done. And remember what Dr. Tom said, you're either doing two things, you're either creating inflammation or you're creating testosterone, but you can't create both. So switch up the protein shake supplements. What I'm personally doing right now, uh, I'm a big chocolate guy, I'm a big chocolate whey guy, but every now and again, I'll throw in a, a vanilla. Now I no longer have a sensitivity to it because I was not eating vanilla shakes all the time. Oh, oh by the way, uh, I was also dominating vanilla ice cream on my cheat days back in that time too. And Anyway, so I'll switch up the flavor, and then I am going with a plant protein every now and again. I'm not saying that I'm a big plant protein guy. I'm just saying I switch it up so that I'm not always having whey chocolate protein. Okay, tip number two, something I am experimenting with. It is a version of an ankle rocker. Uh, so if you guys remember what an ankle rocker is, you put one knee on the ground like you're in a lunge position, and then your other le leg is up again like you're in a lunge position, and you're going to keep that front foot flat on the ground, and you're going to drive your knee over your toe, and you're just going to rock back and forth, hence the term ankle rocker. What I am experimenting with right now is putting a stability ball between my legs. So now I'm not kneeling. My Both of my legs are in the air. The stability ball is kind of, uh, it's not making me stable at all. It's actually causing me to brace my body a, a lot more and have more control over my body. And, and when I'm going forward, 
I have to stop myself from flipping over. And what way am I doing it? Well, one, by engaging my core, and two, by using my arms. So when we do the ankle rockers, we're really not using our arms. We're just laying on the floor, pushing down on my knee. Now I actually have to use my arms in the running motion so I don't flip over. So, and, and a lot of people know this, but when you are sprinting, it is super important to have a strong core. I'm not saying when you are sprinting that you should be tightening your core, but I think in this ankle rocker drill, I think as I'm experimenting with it, that it is going to help me as I'm running to engage my core so I don't uh, flip over while I'm in sprinting, while I'm sprinting, while at the same time giving me a little more mobility in that ankle so I can get that nice shin angle and I can sprint better. Okay, tip number three. It's a quote I'm thinking about. Be indifferent to make to what makes no difference. I'll say that again. Be indifferent to what makes no difference. So I just had a lot of things going on. There's a lot of distractions out there. I feel like there's a lot of opportunities for me to clutter my mind and I have to Take, make a conscious effort to be indifferent to the things that make no difference. Again, there's a lot of distractions out there. What can I just forget about and focus on what truly matters? Remember that old 80-20 uh, principle, the Pareto principle. 20% of what you do impacts 80% of your results or worse or better, whatever way you want to look at it, being positive or negative. So it could be 10% of what you do impacts 90% of your, your results. 10% of your stocks give you 90% of your returns. 10% of your customers give you 90% of your revenue. You get the point. Anyway, uh, I need to be indifferent to that high percentage stuff that gives very low results. Okay. Uh, going to tip number four. Tip number four is something that I'm listening to that moved me. I actually just listened to it on the car ride home from my sprint session. And it was uh, Dr. Andy Huberman, Andrew Huberman. And he was saying something that was absolutely blew my mind. He said that when somebody has uh, an injury, saying you're, you uh, break your right arm, you have an injury, they put a cast on it, they take the cast off, and you're weaker in your right arm, right? He said the reason that you are weaker in the right arm is not from injury. I'm sorry, it's not from atrophy. It's not from not using that muscle. And what really happened is that there's issues with the nerves and the brain connecting, uh, stimulating those areas of the body, and now you just don't have that, that central nervous system kicking in and helping you to be strong. So it's not atrophy is not the main reason why you're weaker. And then he said, this is what blew my mind, the way to increase the recovery of that injured limb is to not do anything with the other limb, so the left limb. And then I was like, oh, no. I have been training guys the wrong way my entire life. I've been saying, you break your right arm, well, here's what we're going to do in the gym. We're going to lift with our left arm, and there is going to be this contraindication, I think that's the word, where now by just by strengthening my left arm, I'm going to improve the strength on the right side of my body. And for me, I always saw the results. I had a guy get in a fight with his girlfriend, punch his hand through a glass window, uh, comes back, I train him with just his left arm, and bang, when he gets out of that cast, he hits a PR in his bench press. I'm like, oh God, like how am I so wrong? But then, Uberman goes a little deeper. He says, the real way to increase the recovery time would actually be to, say, put a cast on your left arm and do work on the right arm. So what he was saying was, as he dug into it more, now it made more sense to me, he was saying was, if you injure something and you can move it, move it. And in the process of moving it, do less on the other side of your body. So I was like, ah, now I get it. This fits totally into our theory of don't ice that ankle when you sprain your ankle. 
we need to keep moving it. So if I sprain my right ankle and I can move it, I should be moving that ankle nonstop. So connecting the dots with Uberman, at least what I think from what I'm hearing, is that if my right ankle is sprained, not broken, I should move my right ankle but do a lot less on my left ankle, which is great because most people will say, I'm just going to rest my right ankle, uh, I'll wrap it up, I'll put some ice on it, and then I'll just hobble along my left ankle. No, that is going to slow down your recovery. So this is like a, a bonus on top of the bonus here, people. Especially you, Hezer. We had a guy in our group who said he couldn't train this weekend because he sprained his ankle. He came to training. I'll get to that later. I said, what have you been doing? He said, nothing. Just resting and putting ice on it. Whoa, do not put ice on that ankle. So if you need to listen to this more, episode number 41 talks about why you should not put ice on a sprained ankle or anything else you hurt. Having said that, this is like a massive bonus tip. If you injure something... And I will experiment with this soon. Hopefully not injured, but like uh, just in terms of just getting my coordination going down. If you injure something and you can move it, move it while at the same time restricting movement to the opposite limb. Woo! Uberman, you, you blew my mind this morning. Deep stuff. Uh, okay, no, tip number five. Tip number five, a productivity tip. And this is for a lot of guys on our crew. They're, uh, they're homeowners. They're moving into a new apartment with their girlfriend. You know who you are. Things are going to happen where your doors don't close. That's right. I'll say that again. Your doors may not close. Now, you may say, who cares about doors? Everybody should care about doors, right? This is like the entry and exit port part of your house. It gives you privacy. It could give you security. There may be times where your doors don't close. Now, why did that happen? Well, there's times where your house shifts. And when your house shifts, there's something called the throw. That's the thing that actually comes out of the door and goes into that plate. That's called the throw. And the, thing is, the other thing is called a strike plate, kind of like a strike zone. So that throw is supposed to go into that strike plate. And if it doesn't match up properly, it's not going to hit and the door will never close. It won't lock and somebody could just barge in on you. Anyway, this is the productivity tip. Back in the day, so I was involved in maintenance for a very long time in my life, uh, I learned from our expert carpenters, hey, the best way to do this is to put shims in the hinges, and it actually will straighten out the door, right? Because if your house shifts or the hinge sags, then that throw doesn't fit into that strike plate, and then you'll never be able to close your door. But this is a sick productivity tip. I've been using it in my house. Uh, I've had to replace door frames in my house. I've had doorknobs just fall out while I was going out to dinner because the house shifted so much. Anyway, the simplest... Oh, by the way, you can adjust where the, the plate is. You can put sh shims and hinges in on the hinges. All this stuff will work temporarily, but then I found out in different parts of the year, based on how cold or hot it was, the thing wouldn't work anymore. So what did I do? Here's the productivity tip after me being uh, not very efficient in telling you this story. There's a thing, think uh, a thing called a gator door latch. It's actually a much better strike plate. It actually increases the strike zone. Think about a bad umpire, a bad umpire in the major league who just calls everything a strike. Well, that's what this thing is. It's a bigger strike zone. Boom, that throw goes right in, and I've had doors that I've had to change the shim every time, uh, every, every season. It would be annoying, or my door just would not close, and then it wouldn't close. Anyway, I put this thing in. Life is good. Look it up if you have issues with your door. It's a gator door latch, and it takes about three minutes to install. By the way, I kind of realized that I just uh, said the word shim, and didn't. maybe people don't know what the hell a shim is. So a shim, imagine you are eating dinner at a restaurant, and the table is wobbly, and someone comes and puts a, uh, a salt a sugar packet underneath one of the legs of that table. That's what basically what a shim is. It's just a, something you put in. And now in the maintenance world, it's a, a lot nicer. It's like a flat plate. That's a shim, and it levels out an, an issue. So I got a, one leg that's an inch short, more than an inch shorter than the other one. When I was in college, I used to put something underneath my, my sneaker, like inside the sole of my sneaker. That's a shim to try and level everything out. Okay.
Whew, that was a lot of information there. Hopefully some of you guys are going into the maintenance world and start using shims. Anyway, we're going to go to tip number six. I'm going to go through the, usually the, the strangest thing I saw all week. I'm going to go through the two greatest things I saw slash heard all week and then the, the thing that bothered me the most this week. The two greatest things I saw all week. One was Piperaji said after the workout, I wasn't coming today. So why? He said, it was a Sunday and I was just going to miss the workout. Now, what happened was we had to change the workout from Saturday to Sunday this week because I was in a all-day seven-on-seven tournament at Monmouth University. So I had to get to school at 7 a.m. Uh, we had to, we couldn't have the training se session as we normally wanted to, and one of the challenge uh, competitors couldn't make the Saturday workout, so we shifted it to Sunday. So it was a Saturday workout. We shifted it to Sunday, and as soon as we shifted it to Sunday, guys were dropping like flies. I think we had 10 guys say they couldn't make it on Sunday morning. Baraji said he was almost one of those guys. Almost. But, but... He just won, in our Freak Awards, the Authentic Award. You do what you say you're going to do. You are a walking billboard of the program. So I think it's awesome. Guy wins an award. Guy wins an award and then decides to show up because he won that award. On the flip side, I'm throwing this one and I didn't even think of this one. We had a guy uh, who won a Relentless Award. And part of the Relentless Award is like, you come to training even when you don't feel good. And the guy didn't feel good and said, I can't come to training. Having said that, giving the pandemic, the age of the pandemic, I'm kind of happy the guy didn't come. So thank you in case you were going to spread something to the rest of us. But you can't just win the R award and then back out because you don't feel good. All right. The other great thing that I saw all week was Hezra comes to training. He's the guy with the sprained ankle. He says, I can't come. I'm all banged up. But I'm going to come to training to watch the championship. And that he does, which is pretty sick. He's boys with Brian Weintraub. He films Brian Weintraub. Gally, I don't want to tell you, but they made a little uh, video before the video. Maybe I'll send it out at some point of some WWE smack talking before Weintraub even goes in the challenge. But pretty sick, Hezra, to get up on a Sunday morning, come support your boy. Uh, to me, that just completely and totally speaks volumes. He helps set up everything. So, Hezra... Much respect, man. Uh, that's pretty cool. All right. The thing that annoyed me the most this week, sitting down, uh, you, know, you know, Staten Island just restaurant, and right outside the restaurant, you could see a fire lane, and in typical Staten Island fashion, everybody just parks in the fire lane, gets out, and walks into a store. Everybody. The parking lot is empty at this point. They could park anywhere they want, but no, they just park right in the fire lane. Why? Uh, I think it's a combination, and this is just me guessing, I think it's a combination of uh, arrogance and laziness. So uh, I'm too lazy to park my car and walk across the parking lot. And my arrogance is, well, I'll just be here for a minute, right? And I'm, pr I'm sure their argument in their mind is, if there actually is a fire, I'm just going to run out, jump in my car, and leave, and I'll be out of the way of the fire department. But to me, it's just a matter of principle, right? One, that thing's there for a reason. So you shouldn't park there, and there's rules. And for some reason, you think you're better than those rules and you're smarter than people that made the rules. And maybe you are. Maybe there is no logical reason why you shouldn't park there with an empty parking lot and you could run right out. But the other thing that bothers me is why wouldn't you want to get out and walk? Like, why wouldn't I park as far away as I possibly can everywhere I go so I can get extra steps? Why wouldn't you want to walk? Anyway, this stuff should not be bothering me. Probably links back to my quote of being different to what makes no difference. But this is uh, just me being frustrated with typical Staten Island. And I could almost get it if there's no spots. But this, this parking lot was empty. Like, empty. I still parked on the other side of the parking lot, by the way. And me and my wife walked across the entire parking lot to get our, to get our steps in. 
Okay, people, that's enough of me rambling. We now need to get into this weekend's challenge. So we've been, we've had a whole season. It's longer than an NFL season at this point. We've had teams competing with each other. Those teams all got points based on wins and losses over the course of a season. Then we broke the individuals out into a NCAA bracket. We had a Sweet 16. We had an Elite 8. We had a Final Four. And now here we are in the championship. And in the championship, we have Tom Galley versus Brian Weintraub. Tom Galley, the guy who wins the Fearless Award. Tom Galley, the guy who had like 12 to 13 weeks in a row where he always won a challenge. Like, the guy comes, always wins. His, t- either his team wins or he wins a head-to-head. Nobody wants to go against him. He's even beating guys on his own team after they uh, lose a challenge. Like he's, he's like the best of the best. Then you got Weintraub. For the whole year, I'm saying don't sleep on Weintraub. Do not sleep on Weintraub. He came a little late into the season. Uh, he works as a, like he's working as an accountant. So during April and before April, his life is insane. He can't get there, but he comes and he's like he's winning challenges. And I could see as he's winning challenges that he's scary good. Like he's scary good. Then, as you've seen, listened to in previous podcasts, he is beating other really good guys and dominating challenges that were really hard to other people. So now we have, we actually, you know, when we get to this thing, you never know what's going to happen. You never know who's going to squeak through, who's going to get lucky. And in this situation, both of these guys at some point did get lucky. So Weintraub got a bye in his first round, even though he shouldn't have, because Amorosi had to travel for business. Boom. Galley gets a bye because Cortese apparently got stuck in Manhattan when the subways just stopped running, which probably means he was out really late because uh, I... I lived in Manhattan for five years, and the subways usually stopped at a certain time. They usually don't stop at, like, uh, 6 o'clock in the afternoon, so he's probably out late. The subways probably stopped. Whatever. So they both got buys, and I say it's better to be lucky than good, but it's great to be good and lucky, which both of these guys were. So they made it to the finals. We have good and lucky making it to the finals head-to-head. It's a matchup that I was really pumped up to see. So what was the challenge? The challenge was you're going to pick up a farmer's walk. So imagine you got the whole... A whole football field. Both guys are going to start on opposite ends from on the sideline. One's on one sideline, corner of the end zone, the other, the other side, corner of the end zone. They're going to pick up a farmer's walk with a 45 on each side, a 25 on each side, and a 10 on only one side. That's right, a 10 on only one side. It's going to now make this farmer's walk completely and totally unbalanced. So not only are you carrying it with one arm, now you got more weight in the front. And you wouldn't think it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And they're going to carry that thing 20 yards straight, and then they're going to make a left and carry it about 15 yards to their left. So they're carrying this 150-pound farmer's walk 30 yards, and not all straight. Maybe more than that. Maybe 35, maybe 40 yards. I don't know, but it's long. They're then going to put that farmer's walk down, and I made we made a, a, a box for them. It's like a little box that they can live in. In that box sitting for them is a chain. They're going to take all the weight off of that farmer's walk, put it on the ground. What they then have to do is take that chain and all that weight and sprint it 20 yards back into the end zone and load it onto a sled that's waiting for them. They put they would back and forth, back and forth. They could do it in any way they want. On the sled is a clamp. They have to a chain. They have to attach that chain to the clamp. When all the weight is on top of that sled, they can then they're gonna run that sled back into that box. When they get that full sled into the box, they're gonna leave the box. About five yards to the outside of them is going to be two sliders. And they're going to take those sliders and then slide 20 yards back into the end zone. And then, and this is how I delivered this to these guys. I said, that's it. And then, 
Oh, sorry guys, I forgot. At the end of those sliders, you will then have to put together a three-year-old uh, puzzle. That's it. That's the, that's the challenge. So now Galley had already been chir chirping about this because last year he was killing the championship challenge. This is his second consecutive championship challenge. He was killing it. He had Daradita beat probably by about 20 seconds. And then, maybe more than that, but he just couldn't put the, the puzzle together. He could not do it. He was unable to put the puzzle together. He's like, if there's a puzzle, I'm going home. So that's why I threw that out last. I actually kept the puzzle in the truck, set the whole field up, then ran back, got the puzzle after I announced it. And oh, by the way, I said, guys, just in case, if you want the answer key to the puzzle, it's at the 50-yard line across the field. You're allowed to go there once to go look at it, but only after you've made an attempt to solve it. So it was really just a temptation to see if, oh my god, I'm stuck, am I willing to make this 100-yard trek 50 yards there, 50 yards back to put this thing together. So, let's get into the challenge. Uh, so Galley and Weintraub are lined up on opposite sides of the field. I say on 3, 2, 1, you're going to go. But, oh, Weintraub, by the way, you're late. He, the guy was actually like three minutes late. I couldn't believe he was late. I was, like, if he missed it, that challenge, that would be the most uh, pathetic ending of a, a, a season where... Galley just gets the win because his guy did not show up. But Weintraub shows up, but he shows up three minutes late. So Weintraub is going to get a three-second penalty. So I say to Galley, three, two, one, go. He goes. I pause for a second. One, one thousand. Then I say to Weintraub, three, two, one, go. He goes. And they both go. They pick up this farmer's walk. But you could see how awkward it is to pick up with this extra 10 pounds in the front. So it's not super heavyweight. It's heavy, but we've done far heavier. But it's awkward. And th at the end, they said, man, that was harder than I thought. Like, Weintraub was upset that he actually had to pick it up with a second hand after he uh, got that full 20 yards and had to bend over to go into the box. Now, here's the truth. As with most, as with most great inventions, uh, this was not a planned thing. It was actually a mistake. I was supposed to bring an extra 10, but I completely messed up. I did. I messed up. I should have had a checklist. Uh, my, my own fault. Uh, we went out for my birthday th the night before. I got home late. I loaded everything into the truck that night because it was going to be a, an early morning, a very early morning, and it was going to be racing on my mind. So I loaded everything in in the dark, and I stupidly forgot the tens. No excuses. Should have had a checklist. Actually, I had a checklist. I left it upstairs out of sheer laziness. I should have brought it down. Anyway, on the ride there, I'm like, no, no. What do I do? I don't have enough time to go back and get the extra tens. So I thought, okay, let's just throw a ten on the front and make this harder. And it did. So great inventions are a lot of times made by mistakes. Look up the slinky. Look up bubble wrap. All this crazy stuff that's an invention. It was actually a mistake. Uh, the movie Jaws. The, the shark broke. The shark broke in Jaws. And that is why they hardly showed the shark during the movie Jaws. And guess what? It made it even more sick because you couldn't see the shark. Anyway, back to the challenge. So these guys are struggling to carry this thing. They... They're both doing extremely well. They they kind of Galley gets to the square a little bit ahead of Weintraub because he's got the three second lead. Now they're both in the square, and this is where it gets interesting. And this is why I do what I do when I make the challenges. If you're trying to get into my head, I want to see the decisions these guys are going to make under pressure. How are they going to take the clamps off? How are they going to load the weight? And they both had. I'm going to tell you their strategies. I'll tell you what Galley did. I'll tell you what Weintraub did, and then I'll tell you what I would have done. So Galley, let's go with Weintraub first. What Weintraub did as he took the clamps off of both sides of that farmer's walk. He took all the weight off the sides of each side of the farmer's walk. And then he carried multiple plates at a time down to the, the sled and stacked the weights. And the rule was you could stack it any way you want. 
I don't care if the heaviest weight's on the bottom, the lightest weight's on the top. I really don't care. You put it wherever you want. In previous challenges, I did mess with them and say you had to put it in a certain order. Like the 45's got to be at the bottom. The 35's got to be on top of it. And I gave them a weight to put on. It was like a random weight load. And this one, I just, just take all the weight. I don't care. There's no math you have to do. But what I did want to see was how they did it. So Weintraub took all sets of the clamps off left and right, then started taking weights, multiple weights at a time. And then one time, he even put weights on, uh, he put the chain on his back, as he, so he, he ran with the chain on his back and weights in both hands. That was his strategy. Galley, he decided to take the chain and essentially wrap all the weights around the chain, every single one. So he would have to make one trip and then run with that chain down across the field and only make one trip and to load all the weights on top of the sled. So Weintraub, I think, had a more traditional approach. Galley had completely and totally out-of-the-box approach. Now, you think in theory, and this goes back to efficiency versus effectiveness, right? This goes back to the argument slash conversation I had Joe with Joe Marechko. And you're thinking about this, you know, like I gave Galley a night to sleep on and think about it. He's kind of thought about it on the fly. I show him the challenge. He's got to think about something out of the box. He's taking a shot here, right? He's shooting a shot, as the kids say. Shooting a shot. So, this ends up being a tragic mistake for the great Tom Galley. Because what I think he didn't realize in terms of efficiency versus effectiveness, and you won't realize it until you do it, is that those plates are now dragging across the floor. And there's not a smooth surface, right? The bottom of the sled has a smooth surface. He's trying to drag these plates, and they're bouncing all over the place, and they're heavy. He's got 150 pounds of weight and a chain, and he's trying to drag them around his body to get them onto the sled. So now, not only is this taking a long time, even though it was supposed to be efficient, it's one trip, right? It's one trip. It's like me trying to carry every bag out of the car one trip with the groceries. And maybe I do it, but like I, uh, I, I spray my ankle walking up the steps. I put a hole in my wall. Like I, I'm not, I may be quote-unquote efficient, but I'm not very effective. He was in his mind trying to be efficient, but he wasn't effective because he had all these plates dragging across the floor. And it was super fatiguing because when he put all those weights back on the sled, he had to do this. He had to drag it again. So... He got worn out, and when you talk to him post-challenge, he said, I, I did that because during a tag team challenge, which we had earlier in the year, it was called Pick Your Poison, where guys had to pick a tool, and then a, a toy, and then run it across the field and get a puzzle piece. Anyway, Strange had come up with the concept of wrapping a chain around your waist and running with the chain while the sled was behind you, and the sled had weight on it. But what Galley realized afterwards was, oh yeah, there was no sled. I was going to wrap this thing around my waist, but... There's no sled. It's just the plates dragging and bouncing on the floor. It's like driving over gravel, right? You're never going to drive as fast over gravel as you are over smooth pavement. So Galley gets, he's getting smoked now at this point, uh, not, just not only in time, but also in fatigue. He gets his sled in, but now by this time he gets his sled in, Weintraub's already like finished with the sliders. He's starting his puzzle piece. So now Galley, he's the ma my master of sliders. Boom! He hits that slider, and now he catches up. He Now he's in the end zone. They're working on their puzzle pieces. They're working on their puzzle pieces. Galley's working on his puzzle piece. Now, Galley has been through this rodeo before of pressure, of puzzles. I thought that he would have a clear and total advantage over Weintraub in this area. I thought the fact that he slid so fast, he was going to make this up. And Weintraub, I... I He's fumbling, but he's not fumbling that much. And then I see him. He starts to put the quarters in. He's starting to see. He recognizes what his little puzzle piece is. Ooh! This should be... A giraffe. Because sometimes you got to figure out what you're looking at. But some of these puzzle pieces, they're tricky. They look like they're right, but they're not. You know, I could see that he had like a piece in. It fit, but it was the wrong piece. It perfectly fit, 
but it didn't make the picture right. So now I'm saying, all right, let's go. You, you guys, you got the key. You got the key in the middle field. Just do it. Now I'm tempting them uh, like the devil in the Garden of Eden, right? Just do it. Just go. Just go look at the key. Take that 100-mile, sorry, that 100-yard run. Do it. And Blanco, he's there. He's Mr. Authentic, right? He's the, the runner-up for Authentic right behind Baraji. He said, don't do it. Just figure it out. Don't do it. Don't do it. Like, so I'm the devil in the Garden of Eden, and he's like the, if you're religious, if you're Catholic, he's the Holy Spirit. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's their conscience. Don't do it. And then uh, Galley starts to pick it up. Galley's getting close. I think Galley's like, his light switches. Ooh, mine's a panda bear. And as soon as I think that light switches, and I think he had about five, maybe about five seconds, he would have finished that thing. I look over. Weintraub's done. Boom. Check. Weintraub wins. So, the 2022 Challenge Champ is none other than the future, a.k.a. Mr. Weintraub, who may now finally have got the term present. He finally may have come out of the future. Maybe the future is now, but I've been saying it all year. Do not sleep on Weintraub. Do not sleep on this guy. He is a force. And the thing I love about him, and maybe it has nothing to do with the way I operate, because when I operate, I always feel like I'm going 100 miles an hour, is that he just makes everything look smooth. He never looks like he's rushed. He never looks like he's freaking out. Uh, you might think he's not working hard, but he really is. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. And one, it's two crazy things that happened during this challenge that Galley did not get to see because he was so in the mode of his own operation, is that Weintraub twice, you know, you get turned around on this thing, he almost started randomly running somewhere else. Meaning, when he finished his farmer's walk and took all the weight off, he, he like, started to sprint out of the box. I don't know why. Like, I don't know where he was going. And then when he finished loading all the weight onto the sled, he... He, he wasn't going, and he pulled the sled through the line. He wasn't going to his sliders. He started to run somewhere else. Where, I don't know. He caught himself both times. I kind of wish he didn't, because i really like to know where the hell he was going. But uh, it's, it's, it is interesting how, on the outside, it may look easy. But when you're in the mix, when you're in the heat, your mind is going, man, this is hard. Man, this is hard. It's the same thing while you could hit a free throw in practice 10 out of 10 times, but now you're in the NCAA championship, and you're about to take that free throw, and all that stuff is swinging behind the, uh, the net, right? All those people are sitting there with all those white towels or whatever it is they do, distracting you. Now it's hard. Now it's hard when it's crunch time. So Weintraub, congratulations. Very impressive work. Galley, also impressive to get to two back-to-back championships. I hope you don't become the, uh, the Buffalo Bills, the Jim Kelly of advanced training. Uh, hopefully you don't make four championships in a row and lose. But I feel like your time's got to be due, man. M- maybe now you, you're another guy. Who, okay, I lost the challenge. I got to go for the tough man. So we got the tough man coming up in two weeks. The tough man is going to be the same format it used to be. But most of the guys who were upset with the format because they think they've already dominated, and they have the right to say it. They, they broke the, the minute mark. They're not in the program right now. So we got a bunch of guys that are hungry. Let's see what we can do. Let's see if we can break that minute mark, and let's put this thing to bed. But uh, it's not over. It's not over yet, people. That same format is coming back in two weeks. Oh, I also said, how would I have done it? How would I, this is me in hindsight, how would I have done it? I would have been a big fan of taking the clamps off of one side of the farmer's walk and then taking that weight and jogging it down and putting it on top of the, the plates, on, on top of the sled. Then I went and jogged back and went to the other side of the farmer's walk and did the same exact thing. Now, why would I have done that? This is my experience, and this is me, like how I unload and unload that farmer's walk in my gym all the time. I just feel like it's very fatiguing to be down at that level and taking off those clamps. 
it's not easy. Like it's actually like tires out your wrist. Plus, I'm thinking about efficiency and effectiveness. I'm operating on one side of that farmer's walk. So I'm on one side. I take the clamps off. My hands are a little tired. My the wrist, the turning motion, right? It's very different than a holding motion. The turning motion of taking those clamps off. If you guys don't know. These clamps have like, I would call it like a set screw, going back to uh, maintenance. They have a set screw or a little dial that you have to turn. And we make it super tight so the weight doesn't fall off. So we, they have to unturn that, and there's two clamps on each side so the weight doesn't fall off. It's not like a clamp that you use in the gym where you squeeze it and you put it on the, the outside of the sleeve. That doesn't work. For whatever reason, that clamp is too big for a farmer's walk. It's annoying. So we've had to figure out ways to make this magic work, which is why Strange wanted to use bands. So anyway, so... They have to unclamp this thing. To me, it's I'm going to operate on one side, give my turning of my wrist rest as I run the weights down, then go back to the other side. I think it's less efficient if I take everything off of one side, then get up and go to the other side, and then start this process all over again. So that's the way I would have did it in hindsight. In hindsight, I definitely would not have done it the way Galley did. Uh, it seemed like a great idea, but now that, now that you see and you learn and you get information, collecting information, you realize that that probably was not the best way to do it. But I do respect Galley for one, shooting a shot, and two, trying to connect the dots between what already worked and other challenges and trying to make it work here. So uh, great challenge, man. I'm very, very impressed. Thank you to the guys who came, filmed it. Baraji filmed uh, Galley, Hezra filmed Whoa, losing my mind. Hezra Film Weintraub, I'm going to put this up on YouTube before the week is over. And we're going to overlay the two guys so you can see them both going at the same time. And you can see where they where they separated, where they caught up. But it's going to be, they're going to both go at the same exact time. And you're going to see how these guys made out. All right, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week. There will be no more Challenge Championship recaps for the rest of the year. The challenge is done. We're going to start up again in January, but we will have a conversation about the tough man in a few weeks. All right, enjoy the rest of your day. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Element. That's L-M-N-T. What's Element? Element is the product that came into my life at exactly the right moment. I've been training hard. I've been sweating like a maniac. But unfortunately, after my sessions, I could never kick that feeling of dehydration. It didn't matter how much water I drank. In fact, the more water I drank, the worse it got. My body was telling me, you need more. You need electrolytes. But I refused to go and buy some sugary sports drink and put that garbage into my body. Enter Element. What's Element? It's a tasty electrolyte drink mix. That's right. I said tasty. They have seven different flavors. My personal favorite is mango chili. But most importantly, it's got no sugar. It's got no gluten. It's got no garbage. It's got no guilt. Take it. You'll feel better. You won't feel like a bum after you drink it. You won't feel any guilt after taking it. To get your element today, go to drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Again, that's drinklmnt.com backslash George Mahoney. Get yours today.